0: Hey there, I'm Lanika Little, Impact Alpha's social media strategist. Thanks for listening. Impact Briefing is a quick snapshot of this week's stories from Impact Alpha, the leading impact investing daily. And there's much more, deal flow, job postings, and a morning email brief to keep you in the know. For you, our loyal podcast listener, take half off when you use the code briefing50 at impactalpha.com slash subscribe. Now enjoy the show.
1: From the virtual newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, May 29th. I'm Brian Walsh. Today, Impact Alpha's Jessica Pothering speaks with angel investor and university lecturer on impact finance, Ani Patton-Power, about redesigning venture finance. And we have Dennis Price, who will profile this week's agent of impact, Sarah Kearney from Prime Coalition. Hi, Dennis. Hi, Brian. Happy Friday. But first, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. Community Development Financial Institutions, or CDFIs, are in the spotlight. A $100 million fund in New York State is a model for billion-dollar nationwide loan funds for the very small, minority-owned, and other businesses typically left behind by some of the federal relief programs. The New York Forward Loan Fund will be distributed by five CDFIs, which are a key channel for reaching such businesses. The plan to shore up their balance sheets was designed by Calvert Impact Capital and Community Reinvestment Fund. Sustainable funds outperformed their conventional peers in the first quarter downturn, and they held their own in the April bounce back. According to Morningstar's John Hale, it wasn't just about oil prices. The main driver of stock market outperformance was a strong focus on workers, customer relationships, and governance. From Nestle to Philips to Procter & Gamble, ESG, or environmental, social, and governance issues, are getting more airtime on corporate earnings calls this season. Investors are seeking out well-run businesses that can drive long-term value creation. Even predating COVID-19, pressure has been growing on executives to address long-term strategies on their quarterly earnings calls. And the U.S. Development Finance Corporation, formerly known as OPIC, rolled out another $4 billion COVID relief plan, which is in addition to its previous $2 billion commitment. The Rapid Response Liquidity Facility will target existing DFC projects that have been particularly impacted by COVID-19. This week's featured story is a guest post by Ani patton Power. Impact Alpha's Jessica Pothering caught up with her to find out how venture finance can redesign itself for a more inclusive post-COVID world.
2: So you've been in the impact investing space for 10 years, which makes you something of a seasoned veteran in the this sector of finance. And um, you're currently working on a book, right, with kind of a cool title? Yeah, it's called Adventure Finance. It's
0: about redesigning venture finance um, to work for founders, funders, and communities.
2: Right. And you wrote a piece for Impact Alpha this week on that topic. Um, It's actually about really the urgent need to recreate capital markets to be more inclusive. I think that at the beginning, impact investing was really about proving that we could do well and
0: do good. And um, so we took the structures from traditional finance and just added impact to them. And, you know, that works for some organizations. But to be able to really revolutionize capital, I think we need to start focusing on redesigning the actual risk capital structures, embedding impact and really committing to creating wealth at the community level. And and that's going to take a redesign of everything and a rethinking. And I think that it's time for us to you know, break the mold of traditional
2: venture capital and private equity and impact investing. In your piece, you identified 10 um, alternative financing structures that are already being used by impact investors. What's different about these and why are they better suited to achieving impact? So there's a variety of different
0: options that impact investors have when they choose how to allocate capital. And one of the things that I would love to see more funders do and that I've been doing in my own experience and helping other funders to be able to do is to really evaluate what works for the entrepreneur. So as opposed to just saying, you know, this is the only type of deal I can do, I can only do VC, I can only do this kind of debt, having a set of options that say, right, you are this kind of funder, you are a funder that's interested in running this sustainable business for the long term. How do I give you the type of risk capital that you need that allows you to own this company in the long term and to be able to run it in a sustainable manner? the problem with exponential growth is that it isn't sustainable in the long run. Even if we want things to grow exponentially, they're not going to do so forever. So giving entrepreneurs only the choice between equity, debt, and then some kind of grant funding, which is scarce and really valuable, it, it doesn't give them enough options to be able to actually do the things that they want to do in the way that they want to do them. So on the risk capital side, expanding the types of risk capital that entrepreneurs have access to, to be able to run impact enterprises, to be able to put them on a sustainable path um, and look at sustainable returns um, for investors. And also about the recycling of capital, sometimes faster, so that you have Investors that are putting money into startups that are starting to see liquidity earlier, that are able to then take that capital and reinvest into other startups. So it's really looking at it from a deal level and from a fund level of saying, how do we meet the needs of the market and how do we get creative about how we meet the needs of the market? So it starts with that entrepreneur and that issue and then designs around that as opposed to just saying, this is the only type of deal I do because this is the only type of deal that my LP, you know, will allow me to do so it's about designing funds that have a flexibility to really create deals that work for the entrepreneur
2: yeah you um you're part of uh, an angel investment network in south africa called dazzle right um And uh, you guys recently closed a deal that really was designed specifically around the business and the founder that you're investing in, but also has this uh, recycling capital component that you just mentioned. So can you talk a little bit about that example and um, why you especially like that one? So
0: in this case, it was, you know, really dynamic female entrepreneur um, that is building an automation business, but she doesn't necessarily want to continue to raise round after round after round and there's some really good revenue prospects that already has revenue and there's some really great ways we can build revenue and so by being able to build a self-liquidating instrument an instrument that allows her to pay us dividends to a set amount but actually buy us out we're able to help her keep ownership in the company which is something we actually really want as an angel investor is we want more female funders and founders and so we want to make sure that she continues to have ownership in this company and it also allows her then to grow the business without necessarily needing to continue to go back and fund everything um, with equity and so it does give her the option now we have a convertibility you know, agreement in that. So there's a convert so that if she does go out and raise money, then we participate alongside um, other investors. But she has that option to instead buy us out with the dividend payments um, and be able to then um, run the company how she'd like to run the company.
2: Really, a lot of these examples are still pretty niche. Um, what do you think is needed to mainstream these approaches and in impact investing?
0: It's a great question because, you know, oftentimes we assume, and I say this all the time, we assume that because something's not done, that it shouldn't be done. And I get that from entrepreneurs. I get that from investors, from different types of funders. Oh, but, you know, this is how you do investing. And so I think that part of it is an education piece. So you know, when I do workshops with funders, it's quite fun to get to see them design these types of funds and then start rolling them out. And when I do workshops with entrepreneurs, their biggest gripe is that, but who's going to give me? This is the type of capital I want. You know, Who's going to give me this type of capital? And so it's important to be building up both of those at the same time. So the book I'm writing is actually for entrepreneurs. Um, And it's written in a language that should be accessible to anyone, um, even without a finance background. But I think it'll be useful for financiers as well, because it'll help them to understand the complexity. And sometimes some of these can be complex, but they can, you know, really be broken down into some pretty
2: basic elements. Well, Ani, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and for chatting with us today. And good luck on your book as you keep working on it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
1: Now it's time for this week's Agent of Impact. Dennis, who are
3: we featuring this week? This week we're featuring Sarah Kearney of the Prime Coalition. Prime opened up its crane tool, an online due diligence tool this week for investors um, as a way to assess future carbon reduction potential of any given technology. So we reported that, but it gave us a chance to really catch up with Sarah and take a look and appreciate what she's done with the Prime Coalition. Sarah's proving out a different kind of venture capital for early stage climate investments. You know, think of a traditional VC um, investing in apps and e-commerce, not capital intensive hardware that takes years of development and testing, um, not to mention huge risks of failure. Um, You know, that early stage climate tech innovation has a huge capital gap. Sarah investigated that gap years ago while doing her, her PhD at MIT um, and was turned on to program-related investments, uh, a sort of wonky foundation tool um, that's very underutilized but has the flexibility and the patience to overcome some of those challenges traditional VCs find in investing in this category. Sarahs founded Prime in 2014 in Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, and has since mobilized more than 75 million from about 150 philanthropic investors Late last year, they, they had a first close on the Prime Impact Fund, um, which is their new vehicle. And other investors are getting into the climate tech game. So, Prime's investments have attracted follow on capital, um, not only from Bill Gates' breakthrough energy ventures, but other later stage investors as well. And now you're seeing climate tech start to take off in Silicon Valley with, with some of the Uh, longer standing venture firms, as well as a whole new crop of firms. So for her work, putting climate action on the investment agenda, Sarah Kearney is this week's agent of impact. And I do want to say, you know, amongst all this work, Sarah is about to have her third child. Um, So congratulations, Sarah. And uh, thank you for being this week's agent of impact.
1: Thanks, Dennis. And thanks to Sarah for all that you're doing. You can see Sarah and all of our agents of impact on Instagram at impactalpha. That's it for your Impact Briefing this week. You can read more about all of these stories at impactalpha.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Jessica Pothering and Dennis Price, as well as our producer Isaac Silk, who also wrote our theme song. I'm Brian Walsh, head of Impact for the fintech company LiquidNet. Make sure you check back next week for the latest Impact Investing news. Until then, take care.